Tonight's scripture reading is from the Gospel of Mark, chapter 6, verses 1 through 13. He went away from there and came to his own country, and his disciples followed him. And on the Sabbath he began to teach in the synagogue, and many who heard him were astonished, saying, Where did this man get all this? What is the wisdom given to him? What mighty works are wrought by his hands? Is not this the carpenter, the son of Mary, and brother of James, and Joseph, and Judas, and Simon? And are not his sisters here with us? And they took offense at him. And Jesus said to them, A prophet is not without honor, except in his own country, and among his own kin, and in his own house. And he could do no mighty work there, except that he laid his hands upon a few sick people and healed them. And he marveled because of their unbelief. And he went about among the villages teaching. And he called to him the twelve, and began to send them out two by two, and gave them authority over the unclean spirits. He charged them to take nothing for their journey except a staff, no bread, no bag, no money in their belts, but to wear sandals and not to put on two tunics. And he said to them, Where you enter a house, stay there until you leave the place. And if any place will not receive you, and they refuse to hear you, when you leave, shake off the dust that is on your feet for a testimony against them. So they went out and preached that people should repent, and they cast out many demons, and anointed with oil many that were sick, and healed them. The word of the Lord. Look, I'm not going to waste a lot of your time here today. I'm just going to sort of like just get straight to the point here and just, it's hot. We don't need that. I'm not going to like tell some odd but intriguing story to kind of get you sucked in that doesn't really mean anything anyway, but it's like left you to like put in your own meaning, you know, and then have the preacher pretend that that was the point. No. I'm not going to do anything like that here. I'm just going to go straight to the point here. And it's this. It's just this question. How weak a God are you willing to deal with? Think about that. How weak a God are you able to accept? Because, well, I know House of Mercy here has this, they talk, you hear a lot about the weakness of God, right? No, that. You don't, I know you don't like that big, strong, power and glory God, right? The God that actually can, like, do something. I know you're not into that. Um, you hear a lot about the weakness of God and how God, is, uh, God suffers and God is uh, humble. And, uh, and that kind of weak God is fine. But really, how weak are you willing to go? Because this Jesus gets pretty weak in this text here. It's kind of like... 
it's kind of like, I don't know, it's, a, it's an important question to ask. I mean, I ask myself, you know, actually, you know, I might be switching to that uh, Higgs boson thing anyway, so, you know, just believe in that. Um, God gets so weak, you know. But, uh, no, you know, it kind of reminds me of, like, did you ever see Schindler's List? Of course you did. Um, and there's that one part where um, Adolf Schindler, I don't think his name is Adolf, um, George doesn't seem right either, um, Herr Schindler, I guess you could call him, is with uh, that, um, Ralph Fiennes, but uh, he's playing like a Nazi in the movie, and he's like the commandant of the um, death camp. And Schindler's in his, li in his list, no, in his, um, the camp guy's office, and he has this rifle, do you remember this? And he's like shooting all these prisoners just for fun. He's just taking this rifle and just shooting these prisoners out in the yard. He just picks one out, shoots them dead. And Schindler is like, why? Why would you do that? And he says, because I have the power, because I can. And Schindler says to him, no, real power is to be able to take somebody's life and choose not to. That's what real power is. Now, in this text today, Jesus, he doesn't have that kind of power even. Nothing. No, he doesn't even have that. It's not like he could do these mighty works here in his hometown, but he just chooses not to. The text says right here, that he was unable to do these works of power because of this lack of faith of the people in his hometown. It's really crazy when you read this text. At first, it's like he goes there and he's talking in the synagogue, and they're all like, where did he learn this? What mighty deeds of power he does with his hands? This is like, we do not like this. This is not good for some reason. This is Joseph's, this is Mary's son, the brother of Joseph and Judas and whoever. They do not like that for some reason. You know how it is like when somebody, like maybe like your really good friend, like maybe um, they have this great achievement, or this great accomplishment, you kind of hate them a little bit for it. It's kind of like that here with the hometown, um, these hometown people. They're just like, he was one of us and now he's some this big rabbi and he can do all these things. They didn't, they didn't like it. But that's not surprising. That's like human nature. What is really surprising is that it actually affects Jesus's like power center or something or his like powers. Because all through Mark, he has like this power all over the place. He has the power to do things and um, heal people with the touch and cast out demons. And even, you know, this is the story where um, somebody in this crowd touches him and like power shoots out from him and he can feel it. So he's got this power thing, but somehow it's like gets drained by these people not believing in them. So this is, like, think about it this way. This is how weak Jesus is in this text. That they don't believe in him, so he cannot, he has no power. He can't do these miracles. So if someone does believe in him, then he can do the miracles. So it's up to the other person whether they believe in him or not, which allows Jesus to do the power, use his power. That, doesn't that kind of make it seem like the other people have more power than Jesus? He's just at the whim of their belief. It's confusing. 
But if you like your weak God, you got it right here. But then he is, he is able to some later give this power to, uh, to his disciples, and he sends them out, and they, they work the power. So somehow, I don't know if he got away from those like negative people or whatever, and he gets recharged, and he gets his power, and he gives it to them. And the disciples then, they have plenty of power. They go out, and uh, they cast out demons and heal people, and it's just amazing for them. This is, that's sort of like the best they ever get, actually, um, the disciples. After that, it's sort of downhill. Um, and it's sort of about this power thing, about uh, maybe even the understanding of power. Because like the disciples in Mark's story, well, they loved power. And they loved political power more than anything. Because time after time, um, they demonstrate their misunderstanding of really what the new uh, kingdom that Jesus has come to usher in is all about. Because they're living in this country, right, that was once very powerful, uh, a, very, a big, mighty political power, and now it's occupied by the ro- armies of Rome. And so they've grown up always with this promise that the Messiah will return and restore Israel to its greatness and its place of power. And they think they found the Messiah in Jesus. And after Jesus invites them into his inner circle, they begin to entertain uh, certain visions, maybe you could say, of not only Israel's return to power, but of their own rise to personal power as political insiders. Now, in the second half of this book here, Mark's book, we see the disciples and Jesus becoming more and more at odds over this issue of power and weakness, or what kind of power Jesus is really about, and what the kind of power the disciples are seeking. Because they are seeking uh, reassurance constantly about Jesus's, about their own long for personal political power. So whenever Jesus brings his death up, they just kind of like tune it out because they're so much focused on this political power. Now the section leading up to Jesus's entry into Jerusalem begins and ends with Jesus healing a blind person, which power. He uses that power to heal the blind. That's good. He gets it back, I guess. Um, And so Mark uses these miracles as sort of a way to show what kind of power he's talking about and who gets it. There's sort of this bookends here that emphasizes how the disciples are becoming more and more blind to what Jesus is actually talking about in this text. Um, Now, the two blind men who are blind to the kingdom of God, they're given sight by Jesus, and they respond with faith which I guess gives Jesus more power, I don't know. Um, Jesus' disciples, um, the very people that he has taught in the secrets of the kingdom of God to, they become more and more blind to the weakness of God and because they be, uh, they're blinded by their own, you know, seeking personal power. After healing the first blind man, Jesus and his disciples set out on their way, and as they're walking, Jesus asks them, who do people think that I am? And after they answer it, then Jesus says, well, who do you think that I am? And Jesus, uh, Peter, answering for the disciples, say, oh, you are the Messiah. But Jesus says, do not tell anybody, which is kind of an odd thing. But Jesus knows what they mean by Messiah is not the same thing that he means by Messiah. They mean that Messiah that's going to throw Rome out and restore Israel to its place of political power. So they just don't get it. So he tries to emphasize to them, no, look, I have to go to Jerusalem where I'm going to be killed. This is 
what we're talking about here. But Peter says, no way, that is not going to happen. So Jesus responds to Peter's rebuke by telling him that his mind is not on divine things, but on human things. Jesus is making the point that Peter and the disciple seem way more interested in political, the political power kingdom than the kingdom of the weakness of God. They can't even comprehend what the kingdom of weakness of God might be, if you can imagine that. Next chapter, Jesus tries to explain the kind of Messiah that he is, again to the disciples, saying the Son of Man is to be betrayed into human hands, and they will kill him, and he will rise after three days. But they just like, they don't even listen to him. They can't even hear what he's saying. They don't understand um, what they're saying. The text says they didn't understand, but they were afraid to ask. The disciples quickly move on to talking about something else. They began arguing, and when they reached their destination, Jesus asked them what they were talking about. But they don't really say anything to him. They don't want Jesus to know what they're talking about because guess what they were talking about? Their own power. Which of them is greatest? And which of them will have the most important position? They're already fighting over cabinet posts in what they imagine will be Jesus' new administration. Next chapter on there, Jesus tries to explain to them for a third time. He takes the 12 disciples aside and he says to them, See, We're going to Jerusalem, and the Son of Man will be handed over to the chief priests and the scribes, and they will condemn him to death, and they will hand him over to the Gentiles, and they will mock him and spit on him and bind him and kill him, and after three days then he will rise. Now this would be pretty shocking to hear if you were a follower of Jesus. If you're expecting Jesus to go into Jerusalem and throw the Roman soldiers out and take his his rightful place as the king of Israel, But in order for this statement by Jesus to shock you, you would have had to have been paying attention, which the disciples were not. No, the disciples were not. Uh, The disciples are so taken with their own understanding of what the kingdom of God will be, they can't even hear Jesus' word. There will be no political power, Jesus is saying. There will only be suffering and death. But that seems to go right by them. They're concerned with other matters. After Jesus finishes telling them about his torture, execution, and resurrection, James and John come forward and say to Jesus, Teacher, we want you to do for us whatever we ask. So Jesus says, What is it that you want for me to do? And the two brothers go on to tell Jesus that they want him to guarantee that they will be the, get the number one and the number two positions in his new regime when this new kingdom comes about. Now, when Jesus takes his throne, and when Jesus takes his throne in Jerusalem, they want to guarantee that they'll be sitting on his right and left side. They don't get it. Blinded by this power. So after this incident, they're walking along, and they come across this blind man calling out to Jesus, calling out to Jesus. And Jesus says to the blind man the same thing he said to James and John. What is it that you want me to do for you? Now, the blind man does not ask for power, does not ask for some reservation um, up in the throne room. No, he asks for mercy, for healing. The blind man asks to see. And Jesus tells him that his faith has made him well. Mark writes, immediately he regains his sight and they follow him and follow him on the way. This is the, almost the exact language that Mark used in chapter 1 to describe the disciples when Jesus first called them, Peter and Andrew, James and John, they 
immediately got, left their nets and followed him. All throughout Mark, the disciples continue to misunderstand the weakness of the kingdom of God, believing in some story of power and glory. In the end, when they finally catch on to what's really going to happen to Jesus, they all leave. They betray him and they run. And guess what happens to your weak God? They kill him. So what kind of God do you want? To what extent do you understand what this weakness even is? What kind of God will we believe in? Oh, wait a minute, I just remembered something. We don't get to choose. Never mind.